Good morning, everyone. Um, Our Bible reading today, uh, we have two readings. The first one is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13, um, and that will be followed by Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The next passage is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is John Forsyth. I have the great privilege of being the vicar at St Jude. And you've done very, very well uh, to find a parking spot within three kilometres, at least. Some of you possibly have walked further than your home in order to get here but we do appreciate the effort you've made, particularly given it's the university uh, open day, which makes parking difficult. Secondly, if you are a little cold, uh, because it's a cooler day, the great thing I've discovered is the closer you get to the front, the warmer it is. Uh, That has nothing to do with my personality and all to do with our heating. Uh, So if you do feel a bit cold, uh, plenty of chances to move uh, towards the front. Uh, I will preach in just a moment, but I thought I would just reiterate Uh, a brief email that I sent on Friday around the creation of the Diocese of the Southern Cross. Some of you might think this is uh, uh, 
a nothingy thing. Some of you might be quite shocked by it. And so it's important to recognise as a parish, we'll have all different kinds of responses. Uh, and so I thought it's just worth acknowledging that as we begin. Uh, if you're kind of unaware what's happened uh, uh, last week, or actually Sunday's the first day of the week, yes, so, so last week uh, the Diocese of the Southern Cross was created and it was particularly created for uh, Anglicans, uh, primarily in other dioceses, not in Melbourne, uh, for people in those dioceses who feel they can no longer remain because they uh, believe that there's been a failure to abide by and uphold the authority of scriptures. Uh, Primarily this is in, as I mentioned before, other uh, dioceses than Melbourne. Uh, Is this Diocese of the Southern Cross part of the Anglican Church of Australia? No, it's not part of the Anglican Church of Australia. It's a completely separate entity, uh, which means if anyone chooses to join it, they, they don't take their building or their parish with them. It's an individual choice that people make based on their own conscience. That, that's kind of the broad structure. Now, uh, I will be running a, a cup of coffee and have a chat with me further on if you have questions or would like to discuss further. What does it mean for St Jude's? The answer is not very much. Uh, We are committed to staying in the Diocese of Melbourne as part of the Anglican Church uh, of Australia uh, and our staff team are united in that. Uh, What can you do? Uh, You can do two things. Uh, I think one thing that gets lost in all of these, sometimes it can seem overly political, is the pastoral element. Uh, There are people who might be anxious for any number of reasons as a result of what has happened. Um, Some people are very positive, some people are very negative. So can I ask you to show grace and love? Uh, you don't have to have a particular view to be a member of St Jude's. Uh, we are, of course, uh, orthodox biblical people who invite uh, all people to come and worship the Lord Jesus. With, uh, worship the Lord Jesus. Secondly, can I ask you to pray? Uh, it's turbulent time. There can be uh, a lot of anxiety. There can be uh, uh, some things that are perhaps not as positive as people would like. Pray that we're united in the gospel as we seek together to proclaim Christ faithfully. Uh, You might be thinking, what's this all about? That's okay. You might be uh, wishing you had further questions. As I mentioned, uh, I will have a time to chat further after church if this is something that you'd like to talk about further or have further questions. But I thought I'd pray now quickly before we look at God's word together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your church that we have the great privilege of joining, uh, joining and being part of. We pray that during these turbulent times we will continue to be a church that is united in the faith of the gospel and proclaim Christ faithfully. We pray for those who feel they have to lead as well as those who who are broken by this, that in all these things they would know your peace and love and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, yeah, well let's... I've just prayed, so let's look at a rich spiritual life and particularly what it means to pray as followers of Jesus. Uh, When you fly over Australia, as I had the great privilege of doing uh, before COVID, I flew from Melbourne to Darwin, uh, what you notice is there's lots of red-brown dirt in the middle. In fact, I fell asleep uh, and then woke up an hour later and nothing had changed out the window. It looked exactly the same. Except what you would find is, uh, amidst all the kind of red, uh, a beautiful red-brown that uh, makes up the inland of our country, it had this line of green sticking every now and again through the desert 
I've got a picture. I didn't take this picture, by the way. It's not up to my standards, my low standards of photography. But we had this, you'll see this kind of curvy green stripe through the brown desert. And of course, what does that signify? It signifies a river, right? Or probably better defined as a creek. Our rivers and creeks are quite small. But yet that life-giving water was enough to propagate beautiful green life in the middle of the desert. In other words, for trees to grow and thrive, unsurprisingly, they need a reliable water source. And it's a helpful analogy for us to think about our spiritual lives. If we are to grow spiritually, we can't just be in the desert. We need to make sure that we are planted, as it talked about in the Old Testament, particularly in Jeremiah, planted by streams of life-giving water. And what is quite interesting, when I speak to people about having a rich spiritual life, who, who speak to me, perhaps they feel like they are in the desert, I'll say to them, how is church going then for you if you're feeling spiritually dry? And they often will say, well, I actually haven't been going, not even online. And I'll say, well, tell me about how your Bible reading is going. Well, I haven't really been doing that either. So what about your prayer life? I said, well, that's kind of limited to when I need to find a parking space. And I say, I wonder if those things have anything to do with you feeling spiritually dry. If you haven't got spiritual practices in your life, well, is it surprising that you're feeling spiritually dry? See, our spiritual life needs to be cultivated. We need to be planted by the river, so to speak. And mentioned last two weeks, uh, Alex has spoken on this already, it's really important that we remember that as we grow as Christians, our spirituality is not something that we do to earn God's favour. Please know that you are already deeply loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more and there's nothing you've done that can make him love you less. And spirituality is not something we kind of attain Every Christian is given the Holy Spirit free of charge. Read Romans 8. You have the Holy Spirit. Extraordinary. What a great gift. Now what spirituality is, is the intimate work of the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life to make you more like Jesus. It's the intimate work of the Holy Spirit in your life to shape and transform you to be more like Jesus. I don't mean grow a beard and you know, save the world. I mean his character. The way you treat and love people. You become more selfless, more generous. You can't help but share the gospel. In other words, you become more like the character of Christ. And of course, crucial to this is prayer. Prayer, after all, is arguably one of the most deepest spiritual things that you can do. But I find, interestingly, and I wonder if you're with me here, sometimes it can be a hard slog as well. Because with prayer, if I said to you, pray more, I could easily finish my sermon here. And some of you would be quite happy with that, by the way, I'm sure. 
extra early mark from church. The positive is a short term, the negative is it would make you feel guilty and wouldn't work. It's not as if we don't know that we're meant to pray, it's that we struggle to pray. In other words, it's it's not an intellectual problem. It's actually a heart problem, a spiritual problem. And so what I want to do this morning is, rather than tell you pray more, because that's that's kind of easy, and I think we know that, I wanted to, to kind of think about how we develop a rich spiritual life by reminding actually what prayer is. Because I think once we unpack a bit of what prayer is, we have a much greater appreciation and joy and desire to pray. And so I want to just say three uh, simple things. We need to be reminded who we're praying to. Who we're praying to. Secondly, why we pray. And thirdly, what do we then pray if we want to be spiritually transformed? So who do we pray to, why do we pray and what are we to pray? Let's um, look at that first one. Who do we pray to? Because when we, I think this is really foundational, when we understand who we're praying to, this is is deeply transforming. Uh, How do you picture God in your mind as you come to him in prayer? Because the scripture gives us lots of different images of God. Uh, They're all true. But there's one particular image which helps us understand prayer. Is it God as a judge? Because absolutely God is a judge. 1 Peter 4, 5 But just remember that they will have to face God, that is everybody, they will face face the judge, both the living and the dead. Do you approach God as you approach the bench in court? Head bowed, anxious about your life and the guilt that you carry? Well, God is absolutely a judge. But is that how we're to understand the relationship of prayer? What about God as the extraordinary creator of our world? And by the way, this is a picture of the Eagle Nebula, uh, taken a little while ago. As you look at that, let me read to you from Isaiah 40, 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out one after another, calling each by its name. He counts them to see that none are lost or have strayed away. In this picture alone, the top to the bottom, this is by the way called the pillars of creation, part of the Eagle Nebula, is 9.5 light years from top to bottom. That's further than you had to park from here this morning by some, by some scale. 90 trillion kilometres long. Millions of stars. Just in that very small part of creation. Friends, God is extraordinary. All-powerful, all-sovereign. Are incomprehensibly huge. But is that how we are to approach him in prayer? Well, at one level, yes, but that's not the primary image we're given in Scripture. You see, if we approach God only as judge, we approach him only with fear and trembling. If we see God as the huge and powerful God, um, I don't know you, but I would not feel comfortable about approaching that God at all. And there's perhaps a warning there too, isn't there, that we are sometimes glib with God. 
in his sovereignty and power. But the Bible extraordinarily says you can approach the God who made that boldly in prayer. Boldly. Don't need to book an appointment. Why can we do that? Because of who God is to us. On this next slide, you will see a picture of a very famous President of the United States. Uh, JFK, for the, or John Kennedy. Uh, I'm, J, I'm JKF, so I have an affinity with JFK. Let's hope I don't end up the same way. Anyway, I've seen enough of the West Wing to know that you can't just wander into the Oval Office and have a chat with whoever, or President Biden at the moment. There are levels of security, there are, there are people with guns, there are helicopters, all kinds of securities. You can't just walk in and demand and have a quick chat with the President of the United States, or indeed most heads of state. Only important people can walk in. But in this next picture, we, we kind of pan back to what's going on, and something dramatic has gone wrong. A small child has somehow infiltrated all the security of the White House. How on earth is this possible? How can a little kid sneak in while he works out how to you know, stop the Bay of Pigs or whatever it is, or the, the Russian invasion? What's going on? Why is there a small kid here? And the answer is, well, God is our Father. God is our Father. Not only is he huge and the sovereign creator, which he is, Not only is he the judge of the living and the dead, which he is, but notice when Jesus teaches us to pray, the first two words of his prayer are this. Our Father. Our Father. The God who flung stars into space is your heavenly Father. The God who is the judge of the living and the dead is your father. See, brothers and sisters, the primary way way we are to relate to God, to understand him, is as our father. Do you know when you pray and you say, Father, you have the attention of the creator of the universe, just with that word. The creator of the universe listens intently to you when you say Father. There is an implicit intimacy in that word, isn't there? It's deeply relational, not transactional. In his great book, J.I. Packer, uh, his book, Knowing God, he says this, What is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as their father. The richest answer. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make out of being thought of as God's child and how much they make out of having God as father. The thought of having God as father must control us as Christians. It must control our worship, control our prayers and control our whole life. If it doesn't control these things, you don't understand Christianity. 
God as Father is foundational to our spiritual life because it is foundational to who we are. We are God's children. He is our Father. Now, I want to acknowledge that not everyone actually has had a good experience of an earthly father. I've been blessed with a great, if at times embarrassing, earthly father, which is kind of pretty standard for many people, but for others, they may have had a dysfunctional or worse father. But here it is God who defines fatherhood, not the broken, often, versions that we see. And notice too, Jesus teaches us to call God our Father in heaven when we pray. To recognise the exalted place of his dwelling uh, and so that we revere and radically shape our lives and the way we live spiritually and, and physically around him. See, prayer is not just a dull routine. It is speaking with your heavenly Father who loves food who loves you and cares for you moment by moment. And so my hope is when I say pray more, what I'm saying is remember how much of a privilege and astonishing privilege prayer is. Your Father delights in listening to you. Your Heavenly Father delights in listening to you. That's who we pray to. And that has to shape you. If you grasp hold of that, it has to shape you in the way that you pray. It makes it relational. Well, secondly, why do we pray? Well, if we are to develop a rich spiritual life to grow as followers of Jesus, it's vital to understand, actually, well, why do we then pray? Here's a really common kind of argument. Our Heavenly Father is sovereign, yes, He's all-knowing, all-powerful. Doesn't he already know what we need and want? I mean, Jesus himself says this in Matthew 6, 5. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Why bother asking him? Have you ever thought that question? It kind of makes sense, right? And the answer is because it actually grows us spiritually. It develops the relationship Let me give you three reasons among many. A a heavenly father wants us to pray because prayer is a beautiful expression of trust and love. It's a beautiful expression of trust and love by which our trust and love grows and increases. You look at, at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love that is, you're grounded in the love of Christ already, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's saying, I want to pray that your love grows. Not that God's love grows, because that's ungrowable. It's extraordinarily overflowing. No, but you would understand that more and respond with more love. And and secondly, our Father wants us to pray because prayer brings us into a deeper fellowship with him. 
It's how you build a relationship. Now, one of the things I love about our church, many things, are the babies. And people who know me well know that I, I will neglect lots of people if there's a baby in the room. And I apologise if, if you're not a baby. I still love you. And one of the beautiful things about baby is, is when they're learning to speak. And, it's a be- and if, you're, if you're a parent who can remember those things or an uncle and aunt, uh, the exciting thing is, is not that when my children learn to speak, I was thinking, great, we can now discuss 17th century French philosophy. I've been waiting... No, we can, but that's, that, it's, it's because the kids says Dada and Mama. In other words, it's relational, isn't it? That's the, the thing that we long for. Yes, we can discuss French philosophy later on, but it doesn't get you out of bed in the morning. Our kids' first words are relational words. And that, that's what we love about, about language. It builds relationships. And, of course, we know the other side of that kind, when language is used abusively, how it destroys relationships. And so prayer is an expression of that deep intimacy that we have with God. And thirdly, God wants us to pray because in prayer... God amazingly allows us as creatures to be involved in the eternally important role of growing his kingdom. And we actually don't need to be involved, by the way. Not if God says, look, how am I going to grow my kingdom? I know, I'll get John on board. He's full of good ideas. Far from it. A friend of mine described it as this. Us helping God grow his kingdom is like a three-year-old helping you bake a cake. Why do you ask a three-year-old to bake a cake with you? Because they're genius at it? If you, if you think that's the case, you've never baked a cake with a three-year-old. They make a mess, there's eggshell everywhere, it gets in their hair. They're primarily there really to lick the beater, let's be honest. But yet when the cake comes out, what do they say? Mum, Dad, look at this cake I made. And that is God graciously involving us in his kingdom work. And that is why we pray. And look at what Paul prays in Ephesians 3.16. Back to these verses. That out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's, That's the kind of goal of his prayer. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And that little phrase, Christ dwelling in your heart, is not just a a nice sentiment, which, you know, there's something pleasant about the words. It's an expression, actually, of our spiritual unity with Jesus. And a key part of that spiritual unity of Jesus is actually that we are transformed to be more like Jesus. See, Christ dwells in our heart in order that the salvation he has won on the cross becomes ours? Yes. And Christ dwells in our hearts so that our hearts are transformed to be more like him. So there's two things going on there at least. To have Christ in your heart means to have a heart like Christ. That's what Paul prays. And so prayer is an expression of our deep dependence on God and a dependence that transforms us to become more like Jesus, which is why he delights in it. That's why we pray. Thirdly, then, well, what, what are we to pray? How do we pray in a way that grows us spiritually? 
And once again, Jesus' prayer for us is so helpful here. Notice that the very first thing that Jesus teaches us to pray are his priorities, not our priorities. We are not Jesus' customers. We are Jesus' followers. That is, he sets the priorities for us to follow. He teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying at least three things. We're we're praying that God may rule and reign over everything. All people will come to know the Lord Jesus. We are praying that he may rule over our own hearts and our own lives. That they'll reflect the kingdom, that we will live out kingdom values as Christians. And actually we're also praying that Christ may return. Where every knee will bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord. And then radically, as I mentioned before, we're to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that our own will even will be conformed to that of our Heavenly Father. Because usually we pray, God, uh, please conform your will to mine. My will be done. That's what we like to pray. Now I've got a a dear friend of mine in ministry called Justin. uh, And Justin is one of the worst drivers I know. And I know that because I've been in the passenger seat with him and it's, it is very good for your prayer life, being in the passenger seat with Justin. Uh, the primary reason that it's good for your prayer life is that Justin is a deeply relational person and is far more interested in you than the road. First problem. Second problem, Justin likes to talk with his hands, not put them on the steering wheel. And so I have driven long distances uh, where we we were certainly driving by faith and not by sight. As Justin would turn and gesticulate and and explain things and I would just grip the seat looking straight ahead uh, saying, Lord, I'm coming to you soon. Because when you let your hands off the steering wheel, right, that is scary. That's scary. But that's what we are praying when we pray, your will be done. We're saying, Lord... I want you to take control of my life. And it, it's hard because we like to drive with just one hand on the wheel. Lord, take half control of my life. I'll, I'll steer. And if I need a bit of help, can you, can you help shape and turn my life? That's, that's the way we normally pray this prayer. But we're saying, God, no, you get into the driver's seat. Your will be done. Martin Luther said this prayer should frighten us. Sounds like Martin had driven with my friend Justin. This prayer should frighten us. In fact, when we pray, your will be done, we're actually praying the reversal of sin. Because sin is saying, God, I actually know better than you. My will be done. And so if we want a rich spiritual life, we must pray Jesus priorities, his kingdom and his will, that we are shaped to serve his kingdom and that our wills are shaped to conform to his will. But secondly, we we can also bring all of our needs to our Heavenly Father, both our physical needs and our spiritual needs, the parts of our life where we, we want to grow spiritually. We bring them to our Father and say, Father, help me with these things. I want to grow. I want to be less selfish. I want to love more. 
Give us today our daily bread. There's no more basic need than bread. Of course, I, my staff, when I take this literally, I have the same bread roll baguette every single day. But this is a, a bigger picture of, of the need that we have to sustain us, to grow us, to give us life. It's about recognising that God is our provider. And so in our prayers, remember that your Heavenly Father cares for your every need. He's interested in your job. He's interested in in your struggle to find a job. He's interested in your retirement. He's interested in your study or school. He's interested in the health of your business. He cares about your marriage, your children, your relationships, your parents. Your church matters to him. Your vicar, even he matters to God. And we don't just bring our physical needs, we bring our spiritual needs as well. Forgive us our sins. Give us the forbearance to love others who are difficult to love. Deeply change our hearts, we can pray, so that we may more and more like Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, what my hope is that you will realise that prayer is not a duty... It is a privilege, a joyful privilege, a life-changing privilege. See, prayer includes moments of perhaps ecstasy and dullness, mindless distraction and acute concentration, flashes of joy and bouts of irritation. In other words, prayer has all the features in common with relationships that matter. And at the heart of it, prayer is the one great reminder that your Heavenly Father wants an ongoing relationship with you. Not pie in the, don't just pie in the sky when you die. To be a follower of Jesus is to be in an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father that is deeply spiritually transforming. Prayer is God's designated way of closing that vast gulf between his infinite power and your mortal being. And prayer is foundational to our spiritual health. And it points to that beautiful day when we will speak with our Heavenly Father face to face in glory. In a moment we're going to sing, but before we do, let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that out of the glorious riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, he may strengthen us by the power of his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we all may be deeply rooted and established in his love may have the power together with all of your saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more in all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.